0: جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين خصوصا على سيد الرسل وخاتم الانبياء وعلى اله وأصحابه أما بعد. there is a prominent yemeni tabi'i by the name of Abu Muslim Al-Khawlani well known in scholarly works his name appears in narration after narration he once traveled from Yemen all the way till he arrived in Damascus while he was in Damascus he entered into the masjid and he saw a group of people sitting around a young man and the people that were sitting around this young man were not just your average attendees the halaqah surrounding this young person consisted of senior sahaba of rasulullah sallallahu people with age people who had seen rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam they had sat in the company of the prophet of allah alayhi salatu sallam. They were in conversation, the people among themselves, and then every now and then they would stop, and they would turn to this young person. And they would ask that person a question, and then go back to their conversation. Every time there was a confusion, a stop in their conversation, somewhere where they couldn't move forward from, where there wasn't clarity, they returned to this young man again, and then continue their conversation. So Abu Muslim al Khawlani was so amazed by the scene that there are senior Sahaba not, uh, gathered around someone and they're asking a young man questions again and again. Who is this young person? لي لي, so he said, I asked the person next to me, who is this guy? So in response, the person said to him, He is Sayyidina Mu'adh al Jabal. The great student of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, a Madani companion, Ansari, a resident of Medina Munawwara He became Muslim at the hands of Musa ibn Umayr When the first group of Sahaba from Medina arrived in Mecca during the Hajj season, and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave them Shahada. Soon after, he sent an educator, a teacher, a da'i, a murabbi, Musab ibn an. His time in Medina Munawwara was spent on teaching Islam, mentoring people there. And one of the people who accepted Islam at his hands was Mu'adh ibn Jabal The following year, so one year, the first group of Ansar, they arrived to the Prophet The following year, a group of more than 70 Ansar come to meet the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and they take allegiance at the hands of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi and they formally invite the Prophet of Allah to relocate to Medina Munawwara. So when those people gathered with Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and one by one they put their hands in the hands of the Prophet of Allah to give their pledge to him, in that gathering was a young 18-year-old man who for the first time in his life laid his eyes on the beautiful face of the Prophet of Allah Mu'ad ibn Jabal This is the first time he meets the Prophet When Nabi arrives in Medina Munawwara There are so many companions there There are so many high caliber individuals there Each one has their own story And inshaAllah throughout the course of this class We will take a peek into those lives Look through those windows to try to understand these people and what they absorbed and what they became through the suhbah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam was phenomenal when it came to seeing potential in individuals the prophet of allah was able to see potential in people before they were able to realize their own potential this was a unique trait of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam If you don't see people's potential and where they can grow and assume everyone is you, there will be a lot of wastage in society. A parent needs to be able to look at one child and look at a second child and tell the difference between the two. Look at one sibling and another sibling and tell the difference. Look at your mother and look at your father and tell the difference. Look at your spouse and look at your cousin and see the difference there. That this is a good person, this is another good person. This person has this ability, that person has another ability. And when you start seeing people's abilities, their disabilities disappear. Because now you see where each person can thrive. One sahabi of the Prophet of Allah cannot see, Nabi Wasallam appoints him as mu'addin of Medina Munawwara. And the Prophet Wasallam at times instructs him to lead the companions also in prayer. That's another sahabi of the Prophet Mu'ad ibn Najba was the studious type. He was the one that paid extra attention to everything the Prophet of Allah said. He internalized things very differently. You know, you find some individuals, as I once read in the works of a scholar, where he was differentiating between students, that you had those students who could capture the length of knowledge. There were those that could capture the width of knowledge. But there were unique individuals who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given his khas tawfiq to that they capture the depth of knowledge that as they're listening, they're not just capturing information. Not only are they figuring out application, but they're understanding the murad and intent behind it. They're able to engage with the knowledge at a level that others are not capable to do. Mu'adh ibn ijama was one of those people. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam enrolls him into his tarbiyah. And not just any tarbiyah, but specifically when it comes to his educational development. (laughs) Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu. He was one of the few companions that had a certificate of understanding and preaching the Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, Rasul would say to the people that if I am absent and you have a question regarding the Qur'an, go to a select number of people and one in one area, name four of them. And one of those people was Sayyidina Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu <laughs> taala. His development under Rasulullah was holistic. You can see it through what role he played during the Prophet's life, his personality, his family, what kind of individual he was when it came to his relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how the Khulafa after Rasulullah carefully utilized him in very specific roles. When you find someone with potential, You utilize them in the right place. Mu'ad ibn Najbal wasn't your broad stroke individual. He was carefully used. He served as a mufti and qadi during the khilafah of the khilafah that he served under. He was the one that people in Medina Munawwara would come to, to have their questions answered. When there was a dispute, they would go to him. In some narrations, Mu'ad ibn Najbal would then consult the Khalifa for a reappeal on any case that was passed by the Khalifa himself. So there is a situation where a um, a lady was accused of zina and she was pregnant. Mu'adh ibn Jabal an warned Umar ibn Khattab an of carrying out any punishment because the child was innocent. When the child was born, they found out that the child, they saw that the child look very similar to the, to the father. There was strong resemblance there. And the father then owned that child as well. He said, this is my child actually. So Umar would then praise Mu'adhr that thank you for being there. Thank you for being that support. Otherwise, what a grave mistake I would have made in carrying out what he perceived in that moment to be injustice. an. Was attested for by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam directly, where Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam publicly said to the companions, "Wa'alamuhum bilhalal walharami," Muadh ibn Jabal. The one who has the most knowledge in matters of halal and haram is Muadh ibn Jabal radhiyallahu anhu. He holds the honor of being the radif of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Once the Prophet of Allah was traveling and riding the same animal as the Prophet of Allah. This is a big honor. Only a handful of companions have this honor that they actually rode the same animal. Imagine someone riding a bike and right behind them or right in front of them, this person had that proximity to Rasulullah. One time Umar ibn al-Khattab r.a passed by Mu'adh ibn al-Jabah r.a Marra Umar ubi Mu'adhin wa huwa yabki. Mu'adh r.a was in tears. Faqala ma yubki. Umar r.a asked him, why are you crying? Qala hadithun sami'atuhu min Rasulullah s.a.w. I'm crying over a statement I heard from the Prophet of Allah r.a. Yaqul. إِنَّ الْرِيَاءِ شِرْكٌ The Prophet of Allah said, even the smallest form of showing off is shirk. إِنَّ الْرِيَاءِ شِرْكٌ وفي إِنَّ يَسِيرَ Even a small part of showing off is a form of shirk. Shirk is to associate partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a little bit of show off built into all of our lives. But the goal is that as you live in this dunya, and as you progress, and as you mature, as the ages, as the years build on to your age, and your time in this dunya, you come to terms with the reality that people matter less. You understand that it's not worth worth dressing up for people. It's not worth making financial decisions purely based off of what people see. It's not worth it building and breaking relationships because of what people say and what they see. It's not worth saying or not saying something simply because what are people going to say? People will continue to say, see, do, whether you are the center of their conversation or not. Because those attention seekers who want to be seen, do it at the cost of other people. If it's not you today, it'll be someone else. Living your life for them, Is no way to live in this dunya. If you're trying to seek attention and be seen and be heard, then seek the attention of your Rabb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For he sees everything, he hears everything, he knows of the thoughts that are buried away deep in our hearts long before we even understand them or dare learn to express them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a shakur. He is one that compensates abundantly, above and beyond, for any small deed that a person acts, a person does. Anything you bring into your life, Allah Azawajal will reward you for it. You will never find people in this dunya who can truly appreciate you. They will see some, they will miss the other. They will acknowledge you at one point, they will miss another. So we spend our lives alone in this world wondering if people will actually truly ever see us. A better way to live life is to forget about people and focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seek you. At that moment, everything changes. Your perspective, your actions, and this is where sincerity actually starts coming into play. People talk about sincerity a lot. There is no path to sincerity until first and foremost you realize that what people say, what they see is actually worth nothing. You have to devalue this stock to find value in the other. Shaitan has embedded this in our mind, that the stock that matters most, and try to understand this. Here we're talking about very subtle thoughts. It's conversations that are occurring in your own mind. That person sees me dressed a particular way, this person, I'm going to lead Salah. There was a young man, Who was once leading Salah and before he led Salah he asked me, he said, Shaykh, do you have any advice for me? And I said, my advice to you is lead Salah in a manner that you forget anyone is standing behind you. This is literally the advice I give to any person that I know that is being appointed as Imam of a Masjid. As long as you can forget anyone, as long as you can forget that people are standing behind you. Forget about the crowd whether it's two people, 200, two hundred, two thousand, five thousand, it's irrelevant. Your Qira'ah is for the sake of Allah Subhanahu. Wa ta'ala. There was a young man, it's kind of cute. He was interested in marrying a girl. So, his father-in-law was in congregation. He really wanted to lead Salah, to like, you know, flex his vocals and show her, show him his and ha. Probably in his mind, he was thinking that if I kill my qalqala, the father-in-law will say, Mashi, go marry my daughter. Alhamdulillah, they're married now. So in that moment, before he led the salah, he called me. He said, sheik I'm about to lead salah right now. And um, you know that, that girl I was telling you about? her father is praying behind me. So, I said to him, listen to me carefully, I'm only going to say this once, walk away from the busallah immediately. He said, I'm standing here though, I said, it's okay, walk away. Walk to the back of the congregation, plant yourself in a place where no one can see you, and do tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you ever considered, enacting ibadah for him while having someone else in your mind you are a trustworthy person. I myself have prayed salah behind this individual. Like this is someone that I would say, you you are an educated person, you can lead salah. This salah is not yours though. When you do ibadah, it has to be purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that can't happen until first and foremost, you devalue the other stock. That people are gonna hear my adhan, someone's gonna hear my iqamah, someone will hear this, someone will hear that. They won't notice anything. Inna riya'i shirkun. Umar sees Mu'adh crying. Why are you crying? He said, I heard the Prophet of Allah saying that even the slightest shade of ostentation and showing off is a form of associating partners with Allah. And the most beloved of Allah's servants are the conscious and hidden ones. Those that if they are absent, no one will even notice them. Those are the most beloved servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they are present in a gathering, people don't even notice them. These are the lanterns of knowledge and leaders of guidance. Hearts that don't want people. So we're talking about this very subtle thought that we see from the beautiful hadith of Muadh Ibn an. and if we take a moment and just bring this back to our world and our life and take a peek into the unavoidable vacuum of social media that has sucked society in, we have gone to the exact Every morning and evening is about exposure. It's about being seen. Where is that example of muadh ibn Jabal This lesson taught to him by Rasulullah wasallam. How did they live their lives? What was the standard? muadh was one day speaking to his companions, and he said, مَا عَمِلَ آدَمِيٌ عَمَلًا أَنْجَا لَهُ مِنْ عَذَابِ اللَّهِ مِنْ There is no act the son of Adam can engage in that is a stronger shield from the punishment of the Day of Judgment than the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مَا عَمِلَ آدَمِيٌ عَمَلًا أَنْجَا لَهُ مِنْ عَذَابِ اللَّهِ مِنْ The dhikr of Allah is the most powerful tool قالوا يا ابا عبد الرحمن ولا الجهاد في سبيل الله؟ what about jihad? Isn't jihad a big deal? قال ولا No, illa أَن يَضْرِبَ بِسَيْفِهِ حَتَّى يَنْقَطِعَ لِأَنَّ اللَّهَ يَقُولُ فِي كِتَابِهِ fi Yes, there is a scenario that in jihad the person takes a higher rank, you know, where they fight right till the end, they are killed or they strike the enemy. But other than that, Allah says in the Quran, Akbar, that the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is superior, is greater. These companions of Rasulullah were developed by Nabi Sallallahu wa In every trait and every attribute, you can look at his um, caution when it came to matters of the deen. You can look at how he was very careful of doing zulm on any person. He would not oppress another person. When it came to his worship, he would stay awake during the night praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person receives a statement from the Prophet of Allah verifying their piety, you would assume that they would now feel a little comfortable that the Prophet of Allah has spoken on my behalf so I'm in a good place. They didn't go off of the accelerator, they went deeper into it pedal to the metal, all the way down. They knew the Prophet of Allah praised them because of their potential. And remember this, when you graduate from one program or one class, it's not because you've accomplished something, it's because you have the potential now to continue moving forward. That's what you have to remember. Don't be content with what you've accomplished in life. Think about the potential that if my teacher praised me today for reading in class, or if my teacher praised me today for you know, accurately executing this mathematical formula, they're praising the fact that now there is much more for me to accomplish. The tools that I need to move forward are available to me. Otherwise complacency will rip out any good you have buried in you. It'll suck it out of you. Mu'adh ibn jabba anhu, he would pray thehajjat salah kana muath ibn jabal idha tahajja min al-layl qala allahumma qad damaat al-uyun wa gharat an-nujum wa anta hajju qayyum allahumma talabi li al-jannati bati' wa harabi min an-nar dha'if allahumma ij'al li 'indaka hudan turadduhu ilayya yawm al-qiyamah innaka la tukhlifu al-mi'ad during istihajad he would make du'a to allah Oh Allah, the eyes have gone to sleep. The stars have come out. My walk to Jannah is slow. And my seeking, my running from the fire of hell is not strong enough. I should be running more, but I'm not running enough. So I ask you to set aside guidance from me that will protect me and help me on the Day of Judgment. For you do not oppose your promise. He was a generous person. One time, Umar ibn al-Khattab, عنه, he called a Khadim, a servant of his. And he said to him, take this sack of wealth and go to Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. This is during Umar radiyallahu al-Khattab's Khilafah. Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah عنه, is appointed as emir in, in Sham. Go to Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah and give him this wealth. When you give him the money, don't leave. Hang around. Watch what he does with it. So the man, he heads over to Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah He gives him the bag. Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah takes that wealth and gives a small portion of it to one person. He then calls another servant and says, give this much to that person. He then calls another person and says, give this much to that person. There was nothing left. This person went back to Umar radiallahu and told him. Umar radiallahu anha smiled. This is what I expected of him. Abu Ubaidah Al Jarrah radiallahu was described by Rasulullah sallallahu sallam as, وَأَمِينُ al ummah. This man will never betray the Ummah. He's not hungry for wealth, hungry for fame. Even when Umar radiallahu visited Sham himself, when Umar radiallahu arrived in Sham, this was a big day that the Khalifa of the Muslims, that is behind the armies that have toppled the Roman and Persian empires, is on his way to Sham. Everyone was talking about it. And when he entered into Damascus, everyone gathered to see Umar. Radiallahu And they saw a man in tattered garments, riding a very humble animal. They were underwhelmed by him. They were expecting something grand, like they had seen in the Caesars and and the Persian Emperors. Umar Umar himself was quite puzzled. I'll tell you why shortly. The first place he heads to is the home of Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah He arrives in Sham, Abu Ubaidham Anhu receives them in Damascus and they enter, they enter into the city and Umar Anhu says to him, I want to see your home. Umar Anhu was very particular to make sure no one appointed by him was living a luxurious life. It's, it's kind of an intimidating moment there. He says, I want to see your home. So Abu Ubaidham Anhu takes him to his home. And there is no sofa to sit. There is no bed to lie on. A small cot on the ground, a flask, a container, a leather mat, a miswak, some humble possessions and belongings. Umar radiallahu enters. He looks around at all of his possessions very clearly. And then he turns to Abu Ubaid al Jarrah radiallahu an and he says to him, The Prophet of Allah spoke the truth when he said, You are the ameen of this ummah. Everyone changed after arriving to Sham except for you. Nothing changed about you. You're the same old man I know from the time of Rasulullah Wealth didn't change you. Because when he arrived in in Sham, what he saw was even the Bedouins, the Arab Bedouins were dressed in elegant garments. Like the Bandus were wearing suits. So when Umar saw this, he was shocked. What's going on here? Why are these farmers and these, you know you know, camel herders wearing like fancy-shamancy ghutra and they're wearing this and they're wearing, you know, fine garments. What's going on here? And then he turns to Abu Bayd al-Jarrah radiallahu anh, and he is also wearing garments that are patched. So then, Allah radiallahu anhu, he says to the messenger, now take this surah, take this uh, sack of, of wealth and go to Mu'adh ibn Jabal, who was also in Sham during those days. I'll explain how he ended up in Sham. Later. When he arrives at the door of Mu'adh ibn Jabr, Mu'adh receives a gift. He makes dua for Umar, radiallahu an, rahimahullah, basalahu, the same dua that Abu al ibn Jarrah made when he received his gift, and then did the same thing and distributed all that wealth. In one narration, as he was distributing it, his wife saw him and she said, What are you going to save? There was nothing left. Only a small amount. So then he gave that to her when a messenger informed Umar he said, these companions of the Prophet of Allah are all the same. Ba'aduhum min like the, 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 the simplicity in these people was consistent. A person once came to Ma'ad ibn and he said, teach me. He said, وَهَلَ anta muti'i?" Are you going to listen to what I tell you? Or are you just asking? Inni <laughs> He said, no, I'm going to listen to you. I've been waiting for this moment. Teach me. <laughs> Such jamil and concise advice qu'adh gives. Fast and do iftar too. Some days you fast, some days you don't fast. Create balance in your life. Worship Allah during the night, sleep some as well. Live a balanced life. Earn waaktasib wa la But don't disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the process of earning. Go and get your check. Go and provide for your family. But don't disobey Allah. <laughs> and do not die but being in a state of Islam. And be mindful of attracting the prayer of the oppressed one. That the oppressed one pray against you, never let that happen. In one riwaya, the Prophet of Allah said, wa fa inna laysa bayna bayna allahi Because there is no veil between that person's dua and Allah subhanahu wa One time Mu'adh radiallahu anhu was speaking to his son, giving him advice. Ya Bunay, my dear son, إِذَا صَلَّيْتَ فَصَلِّي صَلَاةَ مُوَدَّعُ وَلَا تَظُنَّ أَنَّكَ تَعُوُدُ إِلَيْهَا أَبَدًا My dear son, when you pray salah, be sure, be convinced that this is my final prayer. And that I will never have a chance to do sajda before Allah again. ya anna al mu'mina yamutu My dear son, remember, know that the believer dies between two good deeds of his. Hasanatun qadamaha wa hasanatun They are those good deeds of your those good deeds of yours that you have already done in this world that are store for you and then there are those deeds that are ahead of you. So, set it right. Do good, and send good ahead of you. These anecdotes, these stories, these advices of Mu'adh Allahuan are so many. We've covered a few, there's so much more to cover. Each of his narrations, when you read them, you find depth in them. How did he become this grand jurist, scholar, Spiritual advisor. How did he become this person that Rasulullah appoints him in positions of leadership not once but multiple times, even after Fath Makkah, after the conquest of Makkah? Rasulullah instructed him to stay behind in Makkah to teach the people the Quran and Deen. The words of Rasulullah stay behind in Makkah and educate the people here in their Quran and in their Deen. How did this happen? This happened as a result of a very careful and intentful tabi'a process of Rasulullah. ﷺ. Nabi sallallahu mentored him, he developed him. Not only did Nabi teach him, but the Prophet taught him how to be a leader. The Prophet of Allah didn't just give him knowledge of the Quran and Sunnah that he had. He was one of the people that had memorized the entire Qur'an and was stamped with approval by Rasulullah wasallam. But he was taught how to be a leader. He was taught how to be an educator. The famous narration where an was appointed to serve as Imam and lead one of the Musalla locations in Medina Munawwara, some prayers. So one night he was leading Isha Salah, and while he was leading, Um, he kept his he he made Isha extra long he started reading Surah Baqarah one of the companions broke away from prayer and the other companions when they saw him leave they accused him by saying are you a munafid? how can you leave congregation like this? if Muslims are praying you don't just walk away from jama'ah he was offended that someone accused him of being a munafid so that person went to Rasulullah and complained, "O Messenger of Allah, you appointed Muadh as an imam in our community, and he decided to lead an extra long asha salah. We are people who work all day; we're laborers. You know, for context, we're the people who do the heavy, hard labor—the guys, you know, who build the roads, who who you'll find, you know, nailing the." the framing work and digging out holes and we're the guys who work in the farms and water the fields and feed the animals so at the end of the day when we're praying Salah we're exhausted and your student wants to lead Surah Baqarah and Aisha Salah it's a serious complaint (laughs) Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam summons (laughs) Mu'adh bin Jabal and he's very disappointed in him Mu'adr describes that moment as the Prophet very, being very angry and then he said, Are you trying to disrupt my community, my people, my ummah O Mu'adh? What are you doing? When one of you is appointed as imam, keep it brief. Because in the congregation you have all types of people. That in itself is so profound, this advice of Rasulullah The truth is that this one advice of Alaihi merits a whole conversation on leadership. In itself, it is a secret of how to actually guide people. Not just from an Imam's perspective, but from any leadership position. But when you're guiding and leading people, you can choose to guide them from your perspective, with your projection on them, or what you can do is stand in their shoes and understand their perspective, and then meet them halfway. These are tired people. We're not going to tell them to skip salah because that would be a violation of the deen. You're imam, you want to lead them. You want to go all out. Now you can either go all out and lead them and say if you want to be here, be here or be gone. Or you can go on their side and say, no, these people want to pray. It's not that they don't want to pray. They just need a brief prayer in this moment because there are external circumstances. I'm going to meet them halfway. Find me a leader like this. Shaykh al-Hassan Al-Nadwi he says that if you find, a, if a person has this attribute of empathy, relatability, that you can understand people and appreciate their struggles, that in itself is the greatest bridge that scholars struggle to cross. It's, the, it's one of the greatest bridges that we as people of influence struggle with. Think of this in any way you want, as a parent, as a child. You know, as a parent, dealing with your own child, you can either look at it from your perspective, get your math done, get your homework done. Why didn't you do your Qur'an? Or you, look at it, you can look at it from the child's perspective, that they've been at school all day, they had to wait one hour for pickup because the ride was late, they probably haven't eaten, they get back home, they're exhausted, And maybe that's the reason why they decided to goof off, maybe shut off, maybe take a nap, maybe just play around and not, they couldn't be productive anymore. We run our children through the meal, through the mill, like as if there's some sort of a a grain. They just nonstop running them, running them, and running them, and running them. These are children, not executives at top law firms that you're running them and grinding them into nothingness. This... The whole corporate grind that starts in a child's life from their 11 years age is not healthy. No one's denying rigor. No one's denying that we should push our, our offspring to be the best version of themselves. But it has to come in a way that's appropriate for them too. The Western society sucks the soul out of people, from education all the way to corporate work. It's just grind them out and grind them out and grind them out and grind them out there's no joy left in life let the child live let him play seeing things from different angles from different perspectives I remember having this conversation with myself a few years after I graduated I had spent some time lecturing in different universities up and down the nation. In that time, like in 2007-2008, the MSAs were very, very active, so they would invite Imams all the time, and they would have programs, so we'd go to these different universities to do lectures. What became apparent very quickly was, there was a difference between the congregation that I led in Salah in the masjid, the Muslims that I saw at conferences even, the people that I saw at Juma and these young people at the universities, there was a big gap between them. I began to think this was an age thing, that maybe younger folks have a distance from the masjid and from the uh, Islamic centers and circles of knowledge. So then I began to look for ways to engage with the community outside of the masjid. One thing that I found to be very helpful was, I then spent a lot of time conducting nikahs because i found the nikah to be an event that was religious enough for people to come to but also it was social enough for everyone to come at the end of my nikah after at, at the end of conducting the nikah it was so common for someone to come to me after the lecture and say that they just had a profound experience in that moment witnessing that nikah it became very clear That there were two sides to the Muslim community. And there's a spectrum in between. And the people on that side didn't feel that they were heard or they were seen. That they were understood. That's how they felt. So when they were spoken to, they were told, you have to unequivocally enter here or you're out. They were spoken down to. So then, I realized that in order for you to be effective in your da'wah, stand where you are, and understand what Islam requires in any particular situation. So I'm looking at the room from this perspective, and I'm thinking that this is a scenario in front of me, what's Islam's perspective? So I first need to do some research, understand it from a traditional classical perspective. Once that's done, I need to put this on, put this on hold, hit pause. There's a line between right and wrong. I need to cross over up to the side of wrong and take a look from there and see the world from that lens. What's led people here? Why are they here? What are the thoughts here? What are their experiences? Human beings are not innately evil. This is an Islamic principle. Every human being is born on fitrah. How do they come here? What is the journey? It's not just an emotional trip. Not only is it a result of, usually we dump a lot of problems on the family and childhood, but there's a greater reality of society and culture. Now that I see the world from that perspective, this ideal is what we're going to always work towards because this is the sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam. But the question is, how do we walk from there to here? I'm asking this person to cross that line, they're saying the gap is too big for me to jump, my legs don't have that strength. Help me cross it. Help me build the planks to walk on. Help me set the rope. Help me nail in the foundation that I need to make this walk, to make this journey. When people see you investing in understanding them, when they see you investing in being empathetic, that you're taking out time and going the extra yard, the extra mile, they will fall in love with you. You will unite people. Rasulullah <laughs> is teaching Mu'adh <laughs> that when you are appointed as a leader, be compassionate, be kind, be soft and easy with your congregation an. this is a powerful learning moment for him. He experienced the anger of Rasulullah The anger of Rasulullah was a that was be a tool the Prophet of Allah reserved only for those that he loved very dearly. His anger was free of vengeance, of any fire that was burning within his heart that wanted the other person to hurt, that wasn't the Prophet's anger. Nabi anger was to show to that person how wrong they did what they did, how serious of a matter it was, and that they did something that could never be done again. So that anger added pressure onto them, and because the pressure was applied in sincerity, and the person at the bottom was sincere as well, allowed the individual that experienced that anger to turn into something beautiful. That's how you have these leaders. That's how you found these stars, these guides. Unlike us, if someone gave that anger or directed that anger towards me, I would probably rebel against them. Didn't you point me as Imam? Is it not my freedom to choose what I read? What I did, is it haram? Did I do anything that violates the deen? These were all things that we would have all said. We would have written up a long social media post. Tag, tag, tag. Hashtag cancel, cancel, cancel. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> That's the world that we're in. But the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I can imagine Mu'adh radiallahu allah wa maybe just so happy in that moment to see the prophet of allah cared that much for him and the people that Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam cares for me. that's why he said this to me one time rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said to muadh radiyallahu anhu, wallahi inni la ya muadh by allah i love you o muadh he said, O Messenger of Allah, and so do I love you. To that Rasulullah wasallam said, so after every prayer, read the du'a. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika. After every du'a, after every salah, make sure you read the following du'a. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika, O Allah, assist me in your remembrance. وَشُكْرِكَ And being thankful to you. وَحُسْنَ عِبَادَتِكَ And worshipping you in the most pristine, perfect manner. The dua is so jami' and so concise that if a person begins to just disunder- try to understand it, you will be lost. There's so much depth to these words given by the Prophet of Allah, to Mu'adh. The fact that the Prophet of Allah started off that conversation by saying, Wallahi inni lauhibbuka ya Mu'ad, was enough of a gift for a whole lifetime. There's nothing else left to accomplish in the world. Forget Kilimanjaro. Like the Prophet of Allah just said, Wallahi inni ya Mu'ad. So humbled in that moment, he says, A messenger of Allah, and so do I love you. The Prophet of Allah teaches him a that ask Allah to help you remember Him. Ask Allah to help you engage in gratitude for Him. And ask Allah to worship, allow you to worship Him in the manner that He is meant to be worshipped. This is a gift. This is how you raise someone. This is how you build someone. So Allah spends the rest of his life Doing exactly that. Teaching, educating, remembering Allah. He was so generous that every time someone would ask him, he would give. He would borrow money from people for the sake of business. Someone would come to him and say that, give sadaqah, I am in need. He would give the money in sadaqah. A very bad financial plan. You're borrowing money and giving it in sadaqah? How are you going to get out of that? You're in negative. You're in, you know... So he came to Rasulullah and said, a Messenger of Allah, there is a large group of people that are demanding money from you. I owe money to a lot of people. The Prophet said, Go back to those people and say to them, The Prophet of Allah requests that you give me time. He went back to those people and said, The Messenger of Allah requests that I'm given more time to pay your debts back. They said no. The Rawi of the, one of the hadithun he narrates, he says that most likely the people who said no, were the Jews of Medina Munawwara. Because they had capital. People would borrow money from them. They said, we don't want any of that, we want our money now. So Rasulullah then sold the assets of muadh ibn Jabal sold everything that he had, other than his basic needs. Paid off whatever they could, and then Nabi told the remainder that you must now hold off and wait, he has nothing left. And from here, the scholars built bankruptcy law in Islam. It actually comes from the narration of Mu'adh ibn Jabal How do we handle bankruptcy? Is it inherited or not? Are all debts waived in Islam or not? Towards the end of the Prophet Wasallam's life, a large group of people accepted Islam from Yemen. So they announced their Islam to the Prophet Wasallam, and they asked the Prophet of Allah to send back an educator to teach them Islam. Nabi sallam very carefully selected from the companions a person suitable for the task. And he appointed Mu'adh ibn Najbal This in itself is a long story. Mu'adh prepares himself for the journey. The Prophet is walking him out of Medina Munawwara himself. And on the way, the Prophet of Allah is quizzing him to ensure that he is ready for the task. The Prophet asks him, O when you reach Yemen and people ask you a question, how will you answer it? He said, O Messenger of Allah, I will answer through the Qur'an. The Prophet of Allah said, What if you do not find the answer there? He will say, He then said, "To the Sunnah. The Prophet of Allah said, What if you don't find the answer there? He said, I will use my intellect, and I won't fail you, O Messenger of Allah. فَضَرَبَ الله, صلى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ Rasulullah sallam took his hand, and struck the chest of Muadh ibn in approval, excitement, and pride. And he said, Alhamdulillah lima That all praise is for Allah who guided the messenger of the messenger of Allah. All praise is to Allah who guided the messenger of the messenger of Allah to that which is pleasing to Allah and His messenger. Your answers were right. <laughs> Right when Mu'adh radiyaAllahu an was about to head off to Yemen. And Asim ibn Amin al-Mu'adh ibn Jabal al-Qaara lammâ ba'athahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ilal Rasulullah yusihi. So while they were walking, the Prophet of Allah was right, was advising him, wa Mu'adh ra'akibun wa Rasulullah yamshi tahta rahilatahu. Mu'adh radiyaAllahu an was on his animal, as he was getting ready to embark on the journey, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi was walking right by his side. What a beautiful scene, an open desert. Prophet walking on his animal, getting ready to send him off. When Rasulullah finished giving him advice, I like to think of this scene, if you're trying to capture it properly, like a mother or a father seeing off their child at the airport when they're sending them off to college. Mama's walking her son, they unload the bags. She's walking her child into the terminal. She says, kana barabar kana. Make sure you eat properly. Every evening, make sure you call me. Then the child says, Mama, I got this. I know, I know. She just taps the child on the back. Take care of yourself. If you're sick, take your medication. Just giving that advice, giving that advice, and then you reach the TSA, and it's time for the mother and child to separate. So the mother then embraces her child, and says to her child that only Allah knows if we'll meet again or not. The emotions captured in that moment, that separation—what does it feel like? This was literally my last meeting with my mother. Allah It was at the airport. She was headed off to Umrah. And the next time she returned back from Umrah, I was no longer going to be a resident of Chicago, I was going to have moved to Dallas. So the conversation that I described right now was very similar to what we had at the airport. Look after your kids, be good to your wife, Served the deen with ikhlas. The and then TSA came. Ah. Oh. And then she leaned over and whispered in my ear that that if I failed you in your upbringing, be sure to forgive me. Followed by Assalamu alaikum. And those are the last words I heard from my mother. Allahu so now imagine Rasulullah. Uh, he then looks up to Mu'adh. Mu'adh sees the Prophet of Allah crying. So he jumps off his animal, stands in front of Rasulullah. These two mountains standing in front of one another. A picture for history to never forget. On one side you have خَيْرُ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ سَيِّدُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ And right in front of him you have his mentee مُعَظم ibn رَضِيَ عنه, Who met Rasulullah 10 years earlier and he was only 18 years old at the time. Fast forward 10 years and the Prophet of Allah says to him, Oh Muad, ya Muad, inna kaasa asa alla talqani ba'd aami hada, wa la'allaka tamurru bi hada wa qabri. We won't be meeting again. The next time you come back, it'll be my masjid and my grave. So Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, Began to cry profusely for baka mu'adhin he began to cry cry and cry this is his final meeting with rasulullah <tossed> <tossed> sallallahu alaihi wasallam thumma iltafata nabiy sallallahu alaihi wasallam then turned around fa aqbala biwajhihi nahwa with his face towards medina fa <tossed> And he said to him, إِنَّ al The people that are most deserving of me are those who are conscious of Allah, whoever they are, wherever they are. We don't have to be in Medina together. Just be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take this deen to the corners of the world. And just as Rasulullah said, when Mu'adh radiyallahu an returned to Madinah Munawwara, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi waspb had departed from this dunya. During the khilafa of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu an, the Amir of Sham sent a letter to Muawadh sent a letter to Amir al-Mu'minin Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu Yazid ibn, ibn Abi Sufyan He wrote a letter to Omar He said Oh Amir al-Mu'mineen There are so many people in Sham we're, tr- we're still trying to establish Islam And create systems And create some stability here So many new converts So many people interested in Islam We need people to come and teach the Quran and the deen Fa'inni ya Amir al برجال يُعْلِمُونَهُمْ So send some people to me, who can teach Islam to the people of Sham. So Umar radiallahu called five people. Mu'adh ibn Jabal, Mu'adh ibn Samit, Abu Ayyub al-Ansari, Ubayy ibn Kaab, Abu darda radiallahu anhu. These are all very senior companions, known figures. He said to them, that the Muslims in Sham have sought help from me, in appointing teachers. So now you help me by appointing three of you. There are five of, I've called five, three of you will go. Choose the three. So they said, Oh, this is easy. Abu Ayyub al Ansari is senior, there's no need to send him so far to teach. Let him stay home. Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, Rajul ibn Kaab, anh, isn't feeling too well, he should stay back as well. So that's two gone, there's three left, the three of us will go. Umar said to them, the three of you will first go to Hims and you will teach the people there Islam. When you are content with the systems in Hims and that you have fulfilled your task, you will leave one person behind and then the next of you out of the two that remain, one will go to Damascus, one will go to Palestine. So the three of you will come to Hims first. Teach, teach, teach. When you're content, one goes to Damascus, one goes to Palestine. Ubad bin Samit stayed behind in Hims. Abu Darda an went on to Damascus. And Mu'ad ibn Jabal an then made his way to Palestine. It was while he was in Palestine, near Palestine, under the guidance of Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested the people of Sham with one of the greatest tests. A plague broke out, death began to spread. Historically known as Ta'un Amwas. Many great Sahaba begin to die. Senior Sahaba of Rasulullah wasallam, Abu Ubaidah radiyallahu r.a, he once heard someone say, Allah's curse has come to us. So he stood in front of the people and said, this is not Allah's curse, this is Allah's rahmah. Righteous Sahaba have died through this plague, it cannot be a punishment from Allah. And then he said, Oh Allah, bless me with this mercy too. By evening, he saw his boil. Shortly after, the great Sahabi, Abu Abu ibn radiyallahu passed away. And right before he passed away, he said, The person who will look after the Ummah now in Sham is Mu'adh ibn Jabal an." Mu'adh ibn Jabal an's kids caught the plague and they passed away. His two wives, they also passed away. And soon after, when he saw a boil appear on his finger, (laughs) he kissed it and said, Ah, my ticket to Jannah is here. The Prophet said, Al Maturunu Shaheed, the one that dies from a plague is a shaheed. He said, I thank Allah that he did not deprive me of Shahada. When he saw it, he kissed it with his own mouth. He kissed it. And he said, Ah, oh, my ticket to Jannah is finally here. As he waited for death, he said, Marhaban bil marhaba. Za'irun بَعْدَ غْيَابٍ وَحَبِيبٌ وَفَدَ عَلَىٰ شَوْقٍ That, ah, oh, welcome, oh death, welcome. I've been waiting for a long time. My beloved that has arrived after so much anticipation, بَعْدَ الشَوْقٍ And then he looked to the heavens and made the final dua of his life. Allahumma اللَّهُمَّ إِنَّكَ كُنْتَ تَعْلَمُ أَنِّي لَمْ أَكُنْ أُحِبُّ الدُّنْيَا وَطُورَ الْبَقَاءِ بِهَا لِغَرَسِ ashjar. فجهر الأنهار وجري الأنهار، ولكن لضامئ الحواجر ومكابدة مكابدة الساعات العلماء بالركب عند حلق الذكر، اللهم فتقبل نفسي بخير ما تتقبل به نَفْسًا مبنثة. oh Allah take this soul of mine in the best of manners and with that ما الله he left the dunya. Once Umar said that if I were to appoint someone, I would appoint Mu'adh. If I were to appoint someone in a position, I would appoint Mu'adh. The reason is because if Allah asked me that why did you appoint him, I would say the Prophet of Allah said that on the Day of Judgment, Mu'adh will be the leader of the ulama. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving us the opportunity to spend this evening and the remembrance of this great sahabi of Rasulullah. The story of Mu'adh is one of knowledge, one of development. It's one of sacrifice. The story of Mu'ad an is to not be afraid of the challenges that life present. Continue moving forward once you know what you're doing is right. The Prophet of Allah set him. This is the track you need to go on. Go to Yemen. Become shaheed if you need to. Face your challenges in life. Distribute wealth. Don't hoard it. Once you've been told. And if you're lucky that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you people in your life that can point you towards a direction, don't question, keep walking. Allah's barakah will come. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq, elevate the maqam of the sahaba. Wa ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa Barakatuh.